What is up, designers? It's Dallas, and uh, you're listening to the Grand Design Podcast. The podcast is all about, you know, taking the move, you know, the ideas rather, not the movements. Excuse me, that's in your head and materializing them in the world in the form of mass movements. Okay. Um, this podcast episode, I believe, is going to be called Riot or Rise, or it might be something more SEO worthy. But uh, the essence of this episode is all about. The two paths I believe every mass movement has to consider. You know, even consider some of the movements that you're in now. What is the path of that movement? It's ride or rise. It's either the rising tide that raises all ships and make a beautiful life and makes a beautiful life for everybody involved, or it is actually a parasitic movement, a movement that is destructive and cannibalizes itself. And uh, most movements in the modern era, in my personal opinion, are actually movements that are proceeding towards riot. And um, riot or rise, you know, it actually, for me, I decided to say riot or rise because, you know, think about some movements from our past. You know, I live in Baltimore City in a movement that was a bubble in that city that had pure and good origins and a pure and good core, to my belief, it had a, a external shell to it that, you know, wasn't the best. And it did result in a riot in our city. So this is not just a saying, riot or rise. Think about in history, you know, a lot of people have risen and a lot of people have rioted. A lot of people have overthrown or overturned dictatorships. And, um, you know, it's important to realize which path we're on because one path is self-destructive. Um, not just to the people that you hate, quote unquote, but to people, you know, to everyone that's involved. You know, in the modern era, more so than anything, we have a huge, I would say, issue because sometimes you just right. A lot of you know, can, you know, movements that are heading towards riot, they're absolutely right. They're right in their assumptions, but the way they're handling it is just wrong, you know. And so, in the modern era, we have a lot of people that police the movements that they or the people that they and the ideas that they dislike on the twitters, on the social medias, and things like that. You know, they have almost a hatred for these people. And uh, they try at all costs to deny their movement and the roots that it, you know, has grown within society. Um, you see a lot of movements, you know, these people that police the Twitters, you know, they essentially sit online and sit on the Internet all day and search for things that offends their personal sense of morality or ethics. They sit on the internet and look for things that they disagree with, things that hurts their feelings. You know, one one ridiculous one that I was looking at the other day was these these police watchers. You literally have you know take you schedule out time in your day to watch the police. Really, is that what you do? You know, oh I believe in personal accountability. No, you're just nagging them. But here's the thing: a lot of these people who counter you know watch you know police the timelines. You know, they think they're the paragon of ethics or morality and, you know, sensibility. But, you know, in my personal opinion, if your selective attention is focused on the negative that's happening in the world, the negative that's happening in your timeline, and your selective attention is geared to just search and, you know, route to the towards these things that offends your, your senses, then a lot of the times there is a very sinister and a parasitic undertone and underlayer to that to that way of life, you know, it's actually 
a lot more damaging, a lot more parasitic and a lot more um, self-destructive than a lot of people realize. You know, these people who police the Internet often develop into movements and or often harbor ideas that are more harmful than the people that they're policing in the first place. Okay. And um, so if you're somebody that gets on Twitter, for example, and you want to say such, such and such about whether it's about the president or whether it's about and regardless of whether you're right or not, because a lot of people, they're just straight up right. A lot of people in the modern era, they complain about things because they have every right to be sick of it. That's true. You know what I'm saying? But whether it's about the president or the police, about anybody, whatever it is, you have to you know, watch the ways that you proceed with that movement because it will be the result in your success or your destruction. One thing I want to say preemptively even before we slice into it is that the negativity that you experience in yourself it does more harm to you and it does more harm to your community than it does to the people you're targeting. Because negativity, emotion, is radiant. It's not a ray. It doesn't go directly to the source. But anyway, let me kind of cut, cut into a sequence to uh, better illustrate the point I'm talking about. People say all the time, man, black parents don't play. If you're from another race or for if you're a black person that hasn't experienced this, here's your confirmation. My black parents didn't play. I let you know that. And that was since a very young age. You know, the, the, the root of my entire existence since a very young age. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my parents. I rock with my parents. You know, there were just some misunderstandings that took place historically. That doesn't make them not good people. Some people really just, they face a lot. And so it brings a lot, you know, to them in terms of emotion. But my entire essence, since being very young, was turbulence, to be completely honest. Um, you know, there were, there was a lot of instability emotionally in, in the society that I was founded in and that my brothers were founded in. You know, I remember so many different inc incidents where the language used to quell that incident was, was more or less violence. You know, and it took until what, 2007, 2018, modern times where people were really considering that you probably shouldn't hit your kids. That spanking your kids is child abuse. And it wasn't just, and I don't think it was malice. I don't think it was maliciousness, not at all. But a lot of black kids really grow up experiencing spankings by anything that's available. I remember the first time I got my worst, that I had gotten spankings before that all day long, but I remember the worst one I ever got. I think I got a D, I was in like second grade. I think I got a D in my report card or something like that. And I remember just crying about it, just crying in the car. My father was like, man, I'm not gonna spank you, man. I'm not gonna spank you. And uh, it was just a silent ride. And I remember like, literally if anything used to happen back then, it was instant, the instant emotion that I experienced was fear because I knew Somebody was gonna be mad at me whether it was I broke a plate whenever you broke a plate whenever you broke a rule Whenever you got caught doing something there was instant silence in the room because it was about to go down And this day wasn't any different man. I remember getting that deal on my report card and I literally instantly I remember it because 2000s man, you know how you look at like television from the 1960s and it looks all washed out and you know the colors aren't really all there, but and if you think about it sensibly in real life, 
the colors were just as vivid. It was just a TV communicating. Well, my experience was different. Growing up in the city school, like real life looked like how the TV looked, like how TV shows looked in the 2000s. Like the colors were washed out in my memory at least. And the furniture was old. And I remember I was in this classroom and it was a dirty classroom. And it smelled like mildew and you know, all the desks and everything was outdated, you know. Oh, sorry, my phone almost fell. Recipes headphone users. And, you know, we had like, we didn't even have Elmo projectors or anything back then. And I remember I had this teacher named Miss Williams. And Miss Williams was, you know, you know, Miss Williams was a terrorist. Like, she was an absolute terrorist. Like, she would terrorize the kids. Um, and then act, like, act cool in front of the parents. And, um, that might have just been my perspective of her, you know. It, you know, she took me out, to, uh, and me and my mother out, and it's the only reason I passed the second grade because we went out to our parent-teacher conference, uh, and we went uh, and got ice cream, <laughs> and that's how I passed the second grade. But I remember I, I was on the ropes in second grade. Y'all ever seen that? Uh, you know, that when Muhammad Ali is fighting that one dude and he's leaning against the rope, he's doing a rope a dope. That was me because I was getting hit the whole time, and. Uh, we had this different grading system. It was like a U, U, S, like U's and S's and different things like that. I remember one day I got a U and I just started bawling right there in the middle of the classroom. And uh, that was like in the beginning of the day. We only had one class back then if I really remember, but it just lasted the whole day. I don't remember anything about that. But I bawled from the time I got that paper to the time I got in the car and I had received, you know, uh, documents in, in the form of verb, verbal, you know, verbally expressed documents that I had diplomatic immunity. Okay, I had diplomatic immunity. Unbeknownst to me, there was a coup d'etat, you know, brewing on the horizon. I have no idea what that means. But I go home. I enter the house, you know. I feel like kind of awkward because it's like, why are these people forgiving me? And I remember just, I don't even remember. Like, there's a, a cut in my memory through the trauma where I was walking in through the door and then I was upside down and my father was holding me by one leg and he was whipping me as hard as I've ever felt with the belt. Have you ever like seen like them Brandon sticks? They poke the cat, like they make it hot and they poke the cow with. That's what that belt felt like every time I touched my skin. Like I remember, and man, my brother's in the other room jumping on the bread and they bed and they crying their eyes out. They laughing so hard because I'm in the room like I'm bleeding. I wasn't bleeding. Uh, not at all. But I was like, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding, stop, 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 And uh, that's pretty much how that day went. I remember another saga. It was it was actually a, I don't remember what, what happened, but I remember, you know, we used to have in that same house, because a lot of this went down in that house, um, we used to have like a little chair, and it sat at the end of the kitchen. And uh, I remember my father used to sit in that chair every day, and, play, you know, it was an old, big, bulky computer. And I remember he told my brother, my youngest brother, Nicholas, he had to be like four years old to stop doing something, stop coming into that room or something like that. I remember he just walked into the room. My father was sitting in a chair. He looked at my father. And my father just looked at him and they just locked eyes for a second. And my brother just took off. He just started running like I've never seen someone run that fast in my life. But the man bolted like if you were to put him against like me at this age, it wouldn't be a competition like he and he didn't even have no shoes on. You know, it's completely just using the carpet for grip, using the towel for grip. He, he bolted, boom, he hit the corner, boom. My father bought it. My father was getting out of the chair when he was at the top of the stairs. And all he had to do was run in the room and get under the bed. But somehow, as he jumped to get under the bed, my father caught his leg. And 
I was in the background laughing and he got the whooping of a lifetime. And this was something that we experienced over and over and over again. I remember one time, you know, uh, they, you know, it used to be a, my brother used to be a, a, little, a little bit of troublemaker, my oldest brother. And uh, I promise you there's a theme here if you're, if you're wondering where, where am I going with this story. I remember uh, a lot of the times my older brother did, didn't do well in school. And I remember one time he got a D on his report card. Uh, I think he was in middle school. And uh, he was whooped with an extension cord. You know, there was a lot of turmoil. There was a lot of turbulence because there was a lot of misunderstanding of the way these situations should be handled. Not out of malice, not out of hate or anything like that, but out of youth and partially out of anger. And so there was a lot of angry outbursts and the result of that was a lot of fear in the crowd that was there, AKA the kids or whatever you wanna call them. And that wasn't just an isolated experience, that's the experience that any me and any of my peers at the time and any of my peers now can relate to and resonate with. You know, you know tell me if you experienced this, if you're listening to this podcast. When you were young, um, if you have younger parents, that is, uh, how often did they argue so loud that the house was shaking? How often? It's probably an experience that you identify with, right? And if you identify with that, you probably medicate right now with marijuana. No, I'm joking. With marijuana. But anyhow, all jokes aside, shout out to the marijuana users. Um... Remember how you felt during those experiences. Remember how remember how those nights, how long they would be. You know? I remember just observing time after time after time after time. My parents, like, you know, it wasn't like none of my business. Like it wasn't like they were going at each other. But I remember witnessing beef. Like they would just beef and like argue. Like, and it, it used to scare me. It used to scare me very badly. Um, I remember this one time we were coming through the Burger King drive-through and they were arguing and my father got out of the car and he left and I didn't think he was coming back. I don't know why, but I just didn't think of He came home later that night and I remember a funny incident also. Um, one time, you know, somebody had came in the house and we didn't know who came in the house. And my mother was like, everybody hide under the bed. We would have got smoked. And she went and hit, and hit on the side of her bed. Cause my father had came in the house with a mask, a screen mask on <laughs> and a knife. And uh, it, 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 it was a prank. It was a little funny prank, but I just thought I'd throw that in the light in the mood. The but you, you know what I mean? Like it, it, was, it would have been a complete rap. Like, what do you mean hide under the bed? Matter of fact, I don't know if we had it under the bed at that time, but we was either, either under the bed or beside the bed. Either one, whatever. It's not important to the story. Not Nick. He was under. <laughs> he would have been under. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been before he was born. Oh, it, was, it was a long time ago. Never. But here's the deal. There were a lot of situations like this. And so if you fast forward into my later life, I remember because us, you know, we, we design things, you know, and we have these ideas in my head and we want to express them. We want the world to understand them. Um, I also feel like as a result of some of the things that I've experienced as a younger kid, I straightened out very fast. I've learned what to do and what not to do. But it also resulted in a feeling of, you know, uh, of limiting my own expression. You know, I've felt historically through my life uh, because of the fear that had gripped me as a young kid, whether it was rightfully so or not, I don't really know. 
that I couldn't express a lot of the things that I was feeling. You know, if I had like, you know, even the relationship I'm in right now, I didn't really, I've never really told them about it outright. They just kind of assumed and like, we don't talk about things like that. Um, and this is a big theme, like I said, not only just with me, but with some of my brothers and with other families in the area. So this is a, this is not a woe ways me story because like I said, I love my parents flat out, you know, and you do too. I know you do, but some of the things that were handled results in, you know, in a, a complex understanding of the world, a more confused and puzzled understanding of the world is what I'm bringing. And so, um, I remember not feeling like I could express things, you know, the, the Machiavellianism in the family, which means the sneaky sneakiness and the, and, and the cleverness, you're hiding things had increased and had been at an all time high ever since the younger days, because we learned very quickly. And we started not only between me and my five brothers, not really associating in telling each other the inner workings of how our life worked because that could compromise us and our you know our behinds but i really as a young kid i stopped telling my parents things like and there became this gap of familiarity they didn't really know me past a certain point and i didn't really know them i don't still don't really know much about them and they don't really know much about me um and we can coexist in that way sometimes that's how it's supposed to be set up but maybe not um anyhow um, my brothers, you know, I've come to a point in time where, you know, I, I'm just starting to kind of get to know them, too. There was a large disconnect because any dis uh, insemination of inf information in this community might result in a, you know, a Thanos snap and you'll be erased from existence. Um, and that's something that we try to avoid. And so one after the other, you know what I'm saying, we grow older and maybe until young adulthood. Uh, when I say young adulthood, I mean high school. And so... My first oldest brother was the first one to get there, obviously, because he's the oldest, duh. I mean, I wish I could jump him in age, but I can't. And so he gets to high school first, and what happens to him? When he gets to high school, I remember I was in eighth grade, and, you know, he started feeling himself. He started getting a lot of rap music. Um, one of my favorite songs, one of the first songs I ever liked uh, was, duh, Black the Wind by DMX, Pain by Tupac. Uh, all this gangster rap, all this hardcore stuff, you know, all this stuff like after world, you know, um, that's what's the content he was playing. He got into some of the boosie, you know, all these different rappers because he made me, I, I don't know why I can't explain for him, but he felt like they resonated with him and he's kind of start to stray off the well-trodden path. It was weird because before he had got really, when he was in high school, he was kind of like, like playing like Xbox. He was like a gamer type of guy. But as he had grown into an identity of fear and disconnect from his family, I believe, and also he had went through so much. There was a lot of turmoil and arguing, even particularly during the time where he, he probably remembers a lot of the 2008 recession, which wasn't too good for anybody. And uh, he was becoming aware and forming an identity at a time where that was at his peak. And uh, a lot of this had manifested as pain. A lot of this disconnect and his feelings of fear had dis you know, it manifested as pain. And as a result, you know, I remember, you know, he started to grow, grow too big for the container that he was in. When he was 17 or 16, whatever the age was, he had bed, bedtime at like 9 o'clock. That's not the bedtime for a 16-year-old. I mean, I don't, I don't know if anybody agrees with this. You know, he didn't have his own space. He didn't have his own room. He was in the room with me and my other brother. So it was three of us in the room. And he, you know, he's... He's, he's, he's very confined. He can't go and leave the block and go to his friend's house and things like that. And uh, I remember one day, I, I think I came from school and went upstairs. And 
out of nowhere, it was an eruption of voices and they were yelling downstairs. And I don't remember what was going on, but I remember walking to the edge of uh, the steps and my father was in his face. This was customary, you know? This was something that we've always, you know, experienced. But something was different about it this time. I felt in a, a sense of rigidness from him, a sense of uh, deludedness, like something was going to, uh, this was the end for him. And so he swings. My brother swung on my father. Boom. And they just got to tussling. Boom, 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 boom. And, you know, they've made up now. But that that situation, man, I was, I, I remember texting this person on Facebook that I didn't even know, just telling them I was scared. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm scared, man. I, I need somebody to talk to right now. And they was really like rumbling, like boom, boom, boom. You know, like they was they was wrestling. Not quite as good as me, but they was wrestling. And literally, boom, boom, and that finished. And this was the beginning of a series of many different, you know, fights. And so the one day, I remember uh, my brother, he had received what would be his last whipping with a little white, you know, a little television cord, and um, he got up. And he was just crying. He was bawling his eyes out. I could tell he was broken. And you could tell someone's broken when they think of things that are irrational. He asked me and my brother, hey, should I jump out the window? Uh, not to kill itself, but to, like, to leave. And I'm like, we said, why don't you just use the front door? And he said, oh, yeah. And we laugh about this now. But it was, it was, it was surreal back then. He was like, yeah, I'm just using the front door. Ran out the front door. He was gone. He never came back. Uh, fast forward. A lot of things erupts in his life. Uh, and he, he, he'll probably be in prison to 2030. You know, but how do these things happen? Not just him. It's not just him. My brother deals with a lot of anger, a lot of resentment to this very day. Even though things have, man, things are so different. Like, you know, people get older, people get wiser, people get more. Like, things changed. But for some reason, this era is what lasts with people. Uh, I remember coming, uh, when I was in high school, my junior year. You know, and this is really what I wanted to proceed to more than anything. When I got a little older, um, I started to have ideas. I started to feel things about the world that wasn't common. I started to feel design. My brain started to think on design. And as a result of that, I have idea after idea after idea after idea after idea. And um, that's really for the first time where I always felt isolated and secluded from not only my unit, but from society at large. But uh, it really started to bother me how different I felt. I remember when I got to high school, I would have all these different ideas and all these different understandings of the world that I thought people were underrating. You know, I was I would I was I was I was I was angry about a lot of things. You know, why are we sitting here and drinking this coke in this house? Why are you drinking this coke? Can you believe it? You know what I mean? Uh that's something I man. And I'm trying to, I remember just bringing these ideas to people and like my parents and my friends and my family, and I would always express it as rage. And they'd be like, oh, you're ranting, you ran. why you ranting, man, you mad, bad. And they wouldn't listen to me, you know, and uh, rightfully so. And this is, this is a lesson on people who try to communicate through the lens of rage. Uh, a lot of, the, every idea that I felt, like the idea that I shouldn't go to college, I expressed it as rage. I said it was stupid, I said it was idiotic. I, I, I just didn't like it. Like. You know what I'm saying? If, if you had asked me about a particular person at the time that I didn't like their, the idea behind them, the movement idea, it would be very simple. I'd say, hey, just kill them. Very easy. Like, it, you know, it made sense. You know, like, uh, it, it, it was a thing that was very commonplace. There was a lot of resistance and a lot of rebellion. And they say rebellion is a teenage thing. No, it's not. It's not a teenage thing at all. 
It's a teenage thing when teenagers grow up in some different, different, you know, different environments. You grow wild. You grow, you grow, you grow into wilderness. And I remember trying to explain people like, oh, we shouldn't go to college. We shouldn't go to death. We shouldn't drink this soda. We shouldn't eat the chips and the Cheetos. You know, all oh, our social, you're so, you know, working for, for money is stupid. Like all these different ideas, all these different facets of society that purely what I wanted to do with them, I wanted to destroy them. I wanted to dismantle them. I wanted to get rid of them. And you felt this way, right? You felt this way. Those people on Twitter, you want to destroy them. You want to dismantle them. You want to destroy them. You want to kill them. You want it to be over with right now, right here. That's what I really felt. And everything for me came to a head. I remember uh, it was my junior year of high school. And uh, there was a lot of, you know, some of the issues from the earlier days had began to rekindle. And there was a lot of beef in the household. My brother had went off to college, so he wasn't really there. And so it was just me by myself. And, you know, I, w I remember I was arrested at the time. And a lot of people, like, said I was stupid for failing off the wrestling team. But I remember, man, I was cutting, like, so much weight. I was like, I was, you know, I'm around six feet. I might be a little less than that, but you know, I was about 145. That was my weight class, 145. And for me to get down to 145 was no easy task. And a few years later, my, do my my doctor said, you know, I was on dietary surveillance. I don't think I was, but I definitely think I was underweight for my size, just pure off cutting. And you know, I was healthy, but it, in my personal standard, you know, I wish I would look like that now. But you know, anyhow. I was cutting a lot of weight at that point in time. And so that made me more, you know, the lack of nutrients and the lack of uh, energy made me more susceptible to the stress that would eventually come into my life. So not only was I cutting weight, I was dealing with a lot. I was focused on wrestling every day, wrestling my best band, the best, because I had tracks that whole summer to do things. And on the other hand, I was doing school. And so, or going to school. And so I would get from wrestling practice at six, seven at night because, you know, no one had a car, no one was coming to pick me up and I would hop on the bus in the freezing cold, get 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 home from wrestling practice, do my homework, or really at that point in time, to be honest, I wasn't doing my homework because no one should do homework. Um but, you know, and in the periods where I would try to do my homework, maybe I did it, maybe I didn't, but there would be a lot of tension in the household. And I remember so many nights where I didn't sleep at all, not a blink of sleep, because they would just be yelling and screaming. And I think someone in here is about to get cut down. Somebody about to die. Something's about to happen. You know what I'm saying? It would be crying. I think that was some of the first errors I heard my own father cry. It was like, it, it was it was bizarre. But, but emotions ran that deep. Anger run, had ran that deep. And where, as before, I was just explaining topics to the public that I didn't agree with through the lens of anger and disappointment. Um... Man, that year had taken a different route for me entirely. Um, I kind of shut down, you know. I was losing hair. I had ringworm all over my body, and I kind of shut down. And what had taken the place of what I was experiencing previously, that annoyance, was really just anger. I was very angry. And I did things that were very, very irrational. I felt like. F the world, the world don't understand me, no one no one gets the way I feel and I'm alone in this. And I remember so many different things like my phone, and, you know, I don't remember what what had bothered me at the particular time, but I was on the bus home and I took my phone and I just smashed it against the window. Um and people looked at me like I was a madman because I was, man. I was like the boy from Hatchet, you know, out in the wilderness with a with a freaking book and a hatchet. Like it, it felt like a like a like like everything was primitive, like I was a caveman or something like that. I remember I had left for school one morning. It was on Mother's Day or my mother's birthday, one of the two. And I had 
I drew my mother something for her birthday and I was supposed to place it on the table so she could find it when she woke up. And instead I forgot and let it, left it behind the headboard of my bed. And I remember like, like I just, you know, was, was riding on a bus and I remembered that and I just screamed like almost at the top of my lungs, some few curse words and I just hit the window with my fist over and over again. And I, like, it was a lot of psychopathy, like a lot of just, you ever felt that way? You know what I mean? You have felt like, you know what I'm saying? Everything around you was just tense and anger and it, your 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 willpower to 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 remain rational is so finite, you know. Like I was just just out of control, and ironically enough, during those times, both when I was just out of control and even previously when I was angry, just angry lightly and ranting, a lot of my life was deteriorating. A lot of my, you know, I didn't have really any friends. I didn't have any relationship. I didn't have any. I didn't have family. I didn't have wrestling the thing that I cared about the most at the time I didn't have that because it 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 had you know my anger had deteriorated that which I cared about the most it had destroyed that which I cared about the most and you know what happened ironically enough you know I kept some resentment over that time in my life but that time in my life like every other time it passed and it passed uh I took a psychology course my senior year before I graduated and even before that, you know, I was watching a lot of YouTube videos that were psychologically based. Um, even now, I watch a lot of Dr. Dr. Phil, so I'm a certified psychologist, basically. And one theme that had appeared over and over and over again that I don't remember where it hit me, but it hit me sometime after graduation was this. A, you know, J. Cole even said it in a song. I might just say to J. Cole on but I don't remember the line. But I'm not saying that I'm an abused children. That is not what I'm saying. But here's the idea. Abused children grow up to be abusers. Abused children grow up into abusive people. And so people who experience turmoil or abuse in their house, they grow up to abuse other people. I mean, it was this young lady uh, on the TV show. I'm not going to say the TV show, but she was abused when she was younger, unfortunately. And it just came out that she was abusing like a teenager that was living with her or whatever the situation might be. Abused people becomes, becomes the abuser. It's cyclical. And so why am, I, why am I telling that story? What, is that, what does that have to do? I mean, I think the realization of that for me, you know, was a turning point because I realized that one, a lot of the anger that I was pushing out into the world was anger that I was adopting from the world around me, adopting from the environment around me. And when I went to push that anger out of me towards other people or other ideas, it had to first originate in me. And that's the big idea that I wanna explain. A lot of people grow up in environments of turmoil and they grow into angry people. Maybe maybe the cops were shooting black people. Maybe they were. And that made you angry. But one of you know, one of the important things about what I said is this. When I was angry, it was it was it was it was it was a, it was it wasn't a ray. It was a radiance. And it cannibalized everything in my life. And so while the black community 
for example, is an angry household and their children growing up in an angry household and they might be angry at the police, but it's the anger in them that creates the results that they have, you know, creates worse results than the people that they're trying to dismantle anyway. It's the anger and the pain and the negative emotions that came from all these different things, slavery, being poor, being oppressed, that makes somebody, like you grow up in a household that's broken, you're gonna grow into a broken person, you're gonna grow into an abuser. And so this angry household that is this race, whatever race you are, you've experienced something, you grow into a gangbanger, you grow into a drug dealer. And when you might have, you know, anger for the oppressor or somebody has done something for you, when you grow into these different figures, when you grow into the abuser, the people that are in proximity to you are the people that are gonna experience it the most. You see what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Maybe your mother your mother had her mother do something to her. And she didn't like her mother very much. And now what is she, you know, if, if, you, if you experience issues with your family and your parents, look at their parents. Their parents have probably planted a, a, the, some of that ideas into them. You know? Um, a lot of people just, 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 they don't leave when, you know, and, and, and that, that's, that's even more of an interesting topic because you know, when you experience these negative emotions, you become a negative person and the negativity and it radiates to the environment around you. But here's the thing, the language of negativity is the language that only the negative can understand. The language of negativity is the language that only the negative can understand. And so think about it. And I said this in a previous podcast, when you have these thought leaders on the internet and they say F Donald Trump, they're very angry. They might be right, but they're very angry. And what does that inspire in you? That inspires anger, right? It inspires the angriness and you wanna rally behind them. Think about uh, all the future back in the day. I remember that movement was one of the biggest mass movements of our lifetime as young guys and gals. And they would be like, kill people, burn, F school. You know what I mean? I don't know why I'm censoring myself on this podcast, but I am. And uh, I had a lot of friends that were into that entire collective. And I like Odd Future. I like Earl. But I listened to an Earl album for one year straight, which was my junior year, and I was very depressed that year. And a lot of people that followed Odd Future back then, the person that's at the top of the mountain, and they're angry, they're going to inspire anger in that audience. They're going to inspire anger in the people that follow them. And like I said, because anger is a language that only corresponds with the people that are angry. And that's why when I'm angry and I'm ranting to my friends and, I, you know, and all these people in the society around me, they're saying, you're ranting, we don't understand you because they don't relate to the emotion that I'm feeling. The emotion is not, what's, it's not connecting to them. Okay, and so similarly, like when, when, when um, So when you're on social media is what I mean to say, and you're looking and you're scanning, your selective attention is going you know, down your timeline, looking for things that offends you. You're looking for the language that speaks to you. And so if you're looking for something that makes you angry or something that offends you, chances are you're already a person that's living in negativity. You're living in grief, you're living in fear, you're living in pain, you're living in anger because 
That's the only language that stimulates you. If you go up to your friend and say, you know, who's depressed or something like that, and you say, you know what's amazing about life? They'll stop listening. If you say, you know what sucks? Regardless of what comes after, you have their attention. You say, oh, so-and-so got punched in the mouth. They're like, who? If he's so excited. And so for the people who police communities, these are the people who are experiencing the emotion that they're seeking out. They're seeking and they're drawn to this emotion because their selective attention is looking for this because that's the emotion that they embody the most. And that's what this is all to describe. What is the emotion that you're embodying the most? You know, and what is the problem with you embodying that emotion the most? Here's the issue, as I explain. When you're angry and you speak the language of anger, you produce anger in society. Regardless of who you're angry at, anger is radiance and it affects everyone in proximity. And the people in proximity to you are your movement. Those, those are people that are going to be most affected. And so you're doing more damage to your movement. You're doing more damage to the people who follow your ideology than to the people that you're hating in the first place. People who have fear towards the police, when they go home, they're still in fear. They're still in panic. And they still react like it when their children or their wife or their husband says something to them that's unrelated. They're looking at the world through the lens of survival. And so everybody's a threat. And so if you think about it furthermore, beyond mass movements, a family unit itself is just a mini mass movement. And so when I'm in as a younger child and I'm in the house, you know, what are the three elements of a mass movement? It's the attractive character, the leader, you know, it's the cause and there's the new opportunity. You know, your family has all three of those movements, but especially an attractive character and a leader. And so the attractive character of the movement of my household, a lot of the times, because of some of the things that they were going through, some of the pains that they were feeling that I understand and resonate with, was experiencing a lot of anger. And so what did that produce in the people who were following that movement? It produced a lot of anger. And what happened as a result of their anger that they may have had towards their boss, their parents, whoever else? It affected the people within that household, within that movement. And so that's the importance of really analyzing where are we emotionally and what type of movements are we creating? How are we affecting the people who follow our movements based on the emotions that we exude? You know, and it is something that was interesting and appealed to me, particularly because my mother, you know, she used to clown on me because I thought I was smart and I wasn't. Um, but I used to be like um, rapping all these different raps around my house and spitting knowledge at the same quote unquote spitting knowledge, but really was just being angry and ranting and being an idiot. And uh, she was like, she said, you know all those rap songs. Um, give me a give me a line from Martin Luther King. Uh, I couldn't give her one line from Martin Luther King. Um, but a few days ago, that kind of got me wondering, like, what is the idea behind Martin Luther King? What is the idea behind this dude? And uh, I was looking through his his message and his, his ideas that he was felt finding. And interestingly enough, that had went, went you know led me on a route. A rabbit down a rabbit hole where I realize some of the things that I'm talking about in terms of mass movements is some of the things that he discovered a long time ago. 
You know, you can't make a mass movement out of negative emotions. And you're experiencing negative emotions if you're looking for counter movements to thwart instead of looking for the places that your movement can go. And he realized that. He said this. Hate, uh, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And he also said hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And so you're hopping on the Twitters, you're hopping on Instagram, you're hopping in, in this mass movement and is led by hate. But hate can't drive out hate. Hate can only produce more hate. Have you ever tried? Have you ever considered the opposite? What's even more interesting in that is that historically, this has been something that was always known from the very beginning. I'm not too much religious now, but you know the story of the Bible is something that is a story that no one should ever live their life without understanding and reading. Or the story of any religious text, because I'm sure it's in all of them. This is not any new information. When you look at the story of the Bible, Jesus, was, he felt just like we felt. All he wanted to do was bring the ideas to people, bro. And they was hating on him, bro. He was coming down to do right for people and save them from their sins and everything. It was going to be a party, bro. And his own best friend was a rat. A rat. <sighs> Ratting him out. He didn't just rat him out. He got him killed. He put a hit on him. The kings and all these people, the general society was hating on him. He didn't even have bread. He was poor. He was a carpenter. You know? But here's the thing. God ain't decide, look, I'm going to compete. Because what would have happened if he would have competed? It wouldn't be fun for nobody involved. But here's what he decided. He decided, okay, look, I'm going to lead this movement. But I'm not going to hate on the people even though they're trying to kill me. And they're going to kill me. And I know that. Because hate can't drive out hate. I'm going to come with love. And I believe that's the entire lesson of the book. It's about mass movements. And it's about, obviously, the religious things. The under, underlying tone is the mass movement. Christianity is a mass movement. But you can only lead your mass movement like he led your mass movement. Everybody won't want to say, oh, let's be Christ-like. But you want to say, you want to be against people that are against your Christian movement of Christianity. You know what I'm saying? Some Christian people want to hate gays. That ain't Christ-like. Because God, last time I checked, he saved his enemies. And he loved them. And he didn't treat them no differently than anybody else. They was invited to the Last Supper. But when humanity and all our flawed ways gets a hold of beautiful ideas, what happens to them? The idea of being Christ-like is to love. Drive out hate with love. And the Crusades drove out hate with hate, fear, violence, grief, all the negative emotions. Or your mass movements, you know, built through the lens of anger, built through the lens of defiance and, and, and solely bent on the destruction of another. Because in that way, in that right, it cannibalizes itself. It cannibalizes you. It cannibalizes the people that follows it. And, there, and there's no mass movement built that way that can possibly have longevity. You know, um. I'm just making sure I didn't forget anything. Yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, 
Think about it. Think about all the things. Think about your habits. Think about all the mass movements that you uh, experience in society and the wave they've turned. You know, this entire thing was sparked by, you know, we, you know, it was uh, on my girlfriend's Twitter. Uh, it was this conversation that was being had by uh, a quote unquote, I say a quote unquote, because I don't believe this is the core principles of the group, a quote unquote, black, black, pro-black people. You know what I'm saying? And the entire idea that they were saying was, uh, we don't like interracial dating. Don't be dating no white boys and white girls. That's pretty much the idea that they were putting out. And someone in the comment section said, you know, oh, so we're, you know, the KKK can say, don't do that. Don't date interracially, but we, we can't say that. We got to be the ones to bend. And uh, a good point was brought up that you want to be like the KKK. What sense does that make? You know, you want to, you want to, you want to parallel yourself with a movement built out of hate for another. You see, and look how this movement has grown into something that within society is geared and primed to not only cannibalize people that they dislike, but everybody involved. Because where the center of the movement came from pure ideologies, it went through the lens of society and most of the society is living in negativity. You can tell because they search for negativity because they're always looking for something to be mad about, to be upset about. It goes through the lens of society and suddenly it's like the game of telephone. By the time you get to the last person, the message is quite different. And so we want to get on Twitter. I'm I'm, 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 I'm going to be raw. We're going to get on Twitter and we're going to call out so-and-so who only 25% black because they said their hair was an afro. That's being petty. You want to call out black people who are lighter than you, but still black? Because they got privilege. Beyonce got the privilege. You, you know, it's a movement that's cannibalizing itself. To say, oh, I don't want you to go again, you go with so-and-so is hateful. You see? And it's all stemming from the same thing. Monitor what emotion are you living with the most? Are you living with the negative emotions, the fear? Grief, anger. Are you living on that on a, you know apathy? Are you living on bottom rung emotions? Are you living in the positive emotions? Peace, aspiration. I don't even memorize the topic because I talk about the, you know the lower rung so so often. But you look it up. I post it on all the social media. You'll see it somewhere. Or are you living in the positive emotions? Is the question. Monitor your emotions because the emotions are going to lead either to a situation where you hate the police so much that you're willing to riot in the city of Baltimore and destroy the neighborhood that is your neighborhood. And man, when those riots happen, I was sitting there like, man, I feel you. I get the way you feel. But these people who live here are going to have to clean this up. So are you going to riot? Or are you going to die and have everybody's sins, you know, accounted for? Are you going to be the ship or the tide that raises all ships? Or are you going to resolve and ride? Think about the emotions that we feel. Poor people hate billionaires. For what reason? I, I really can't. I really can't tell. As a poor person, I really can't. It's always okay. We have this movement. We have these ideas, but it has to manifest as hate for somebody else. We want to dismantle something else. 
And when you have the, and, and, and that's the entire thing. And that's, that, and that's really what the grand design is about. And the design, you know, it's entire design thing. The positive emotions when you get to the other side. What that hate is, is, is associated with and what that I want to beat them and be the one is associated with is a competitive mindset. And like Martin Luther King said, which is why he got so much results, you can't win anything with a competitive mindset. You have to get to wellness because wellness is associated with a collaborative mindset. If your movement isn't wrong with a collaborative mindset, historically it hasn't gone too well. So look at yourself. And this is what the grand, grand, grand design is all about. It's about getting to what I call the universal identity. What identity do you embody as a counterposition to somebody else's identity? And how do you feel towards them? Americans, do you hate other, this other country? Do you hate and want to build a border, be competitive with Mexico? Well, are our people down there in Mexico? Human beings in Mexico, because they want to come over and you know and and not and not be a part of all that you know some of the shenanigans that's happening back home is scary back there sometimes. Same way it's scary in our inner city sometimes. You gonna tell me I can't go to the suburbs? You know what I'm saying? So it's about getting to you know what what is what is the identity inside of you that trumps the identity of humanity? Because that's often the point of competition, and that's what's dividing us. And if we can come to a universal identity, I see a world when we older, it ain't gonna be no borders. It ain't gonna be no identity greater than the human identity. It's like I always say, if aliens came down here right now, what, what would it be? It would be all oh, we 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 gotta we gotta stand together, people. We, we, all these countries, well, let's not worry about the wars right now. We gotta we gotta no, but you know, see, and that's that's the universal identity. That's when you put the human identity before any other identity, before the identity of your gang, before the identity of your country, before the identity of your. Da, 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 your class, whatever it gotta be. We have to collaborate with each other, collaborate with the world to make things happen. Um, I'm not gonna continue to beat a dead horse. That's really all I have to say today. I went way longer than I should have and elaborated way more than I should have. I probably think of something when I shut this podcast off, but it doesn't matter. I'll just make another episode because I can do that. Um, everybody's getting your stimulus checks. I hope you're enjoying that. You know, I hope this is a beacon of hope, a beacon of life to you. Um, you're working so hard all year, you deserve it, you know. Um, I'm not going to say nothing else about that. But uh, if you're listening to this and you, you have some money, you got some money, because as much as I like to collaborate, look, I like to collaborate over money. I want you to give me some money, man. And so, because I need it, trust me. And so, if you're an entrepreneur and you have a central, you know, you, you've experienced a lot of these, you know, you've, you've gone through the path for entrepreneurship and just like me when I was younger, you used to have all this rage and all these ideas that you want to communicate to the world, but you didn't know how. But you've gone to the other path, side of the path because you're successful and you've become refined and that rage has become burnt out of you. But you're still left with these central ideas that you want to communicate to people, that you want to build a tribe and a community around and impact the world with. If you have a central idea that's important to you and you want to get it out to the world in a way that's profitable, um, I believe the best way to do that is something called a sales memoir. I'm not going to talk about a sales memoir too much in this podcast episode, but if you would like a sales memoir written for you, which is a special, it's the next, next, you know, we have, we used to have like a, you know, whatever, you know, this is like, like how websites went to funnels. This is the next iteration of what a book would be. 
the, 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 new, the new book. You know, it's organizing your ideas in a way that actually influences people. Because you can't just go to the dinner table and rant to your mom and dad because they're going to say you're ranting even if you're positive. You have to structure your ideas in a particular type of way. But uh, so if you want to sell them more, look, man, we're not all, we don't, we don't, we don't, we write for selected people, I'm not going to lie, but we don't got it all together right now. The team's not assembled right now. and But you can you can be one of the first to have your sales memoirs written. It's first come, first served, but we got a list of, you know, a little waiting list. And if you want to join that waiting list and when the time comes around, have your sales memoir written and your message and your core idea pumped out to the world in the form of a six-month campaign, go to www.memoirlaunch.com slash launch list. That's www.memoirlaunch.com slash launch list. Um, and I'll be over there waiting for you. Um, yeah. That's really all I have to say, man. Uh, work on yourself, man. Regard, you know, regard your emotions and the ways that you feel. So the ideas that you have is a design. Don't come out in the form of a design that will collapse on itself and burn everything that you ever stood for. It's Dallas and it's the Grand Design Podcast. I appreciate you so much for listening. I hope you're enjoying your day, man. I hope you're having a good time. Peace out. Yo. I love the podcast app because you because you could just edit things. Um, one thing I want to say, man, I realize I talked a lot about the negativity and mass movements, but how is you know how is it that you purge a lot of uh, you know the ways that we feel? Um, a lot of people I feel like you know they see it as you know an automatic process, but really it's a manual process. You know there are a lot of character flaws that we developed as a result of some of the places that we come from, um, and. Recently, there's been a you know exploration of this topic and this ideology of self care on the internet, and uh, I feel like the basis of our understanding of self care is, is is almost a scam in ways because these are things that ultimately they serve to make you comfortable uh with 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 the life that you have like you know comfortable with some of the emotions that you facilitate and it really eradicates the possibility of being wrong in your assumptions about the world and in your emotions towards other people um things like uh cutting off people who aren't good for you which is you know quote unquote aren't good for you but i really don't think it's that simple you know uh things like um you know you know come on you know what i'm talking about but um I think the only way to become people who are refined enough to be at the helm of a mass movement or a movement of any type, the only way to burn out the impurities of who we are is to pursue our personal fulfillments and our personal dreams and our personal goals, our inspiration. And obviously, that requires building up yourself, you know, which is where a lot of the advice for quote-unquote self-care is very appropriate and it's very correct but i think it's an incomplete story in the fact that you have to take care of yourself and so that you can get to the point where you have enough space in your life to actually dream and think of the things that you want to be and what you want to do to the place where you have clarity on those types of things you have to take care of the bottom levels of that pyramid of needs you have to you know you have to do the meditation you have to separate yourself from people. you have to drink the water you have to build up that foundation but I think at the top of the foundation, the only way to do it is to pursue the things that you care about the most. Pursue your dream, pursue your journey, and uh, because that'll ultimately push you through hardship. And each part of your journey, Russell Brunson says, a lot will require a different you. And so you'll never go on to the next segment of your journey without becoming the person that you need to be. 
you know, hardship, it forces you to overcome it by facing one-on-one your character flaws. What are the fatal flaws within you that hold you back from being the person that's deserving of your dream or deserving of the pursuit that you're on? You know, and I feel like a lot of people in society, they cheat themselves out of this process because they don't pursue their dreams. They don't pursue their ambitions. And so they never become refined through the process of hardships. You know, it's like if I didn't become a wrestler, you know how many principles I've learned from loss and trying to get better and trying to overcome each improvement delivers a different paradigm that applies to the rest of your life. You know, and that's why I think a lot of high achievers, you'll, you'll see them have their first successes, whether they're high achieving and they're at the top of their corporate ladder or whatever it might be. They see their first wins in the sports arena. You know, I was just doing this book with a guy uh, from back home and uh, his, his first successes came as a state champion in, in track, you know, um, and it's because that's the perfect, you know, team environment to learn some of these paradigms without having, you know, to just jump out in the world and uh, get burnt in the worst ways. It's not risky, you know, in those days, in the early days when you're doing sports. Um, but even beyond that fact, you know, I think you see a lot of problems in society. I'm not no doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a business person or anything like that. I'm just a person with an opinion. But you go out in society, you see a lot of people with, you know, depression, a lot of people with anxiety, a lot of people with these different mental illnesses. Um, not necessarily the more clinical ones, but people aren't really happy is what I'm describing. So not clinical depression, not clinical anxiety, but people feel you know, they feel bad about the life that they're living. They feel like they feel bad about the things that they're raising in, in society. And a lot of these ways that people feel results in some of the things that we see, like the 50% divorce rate and uh, the domestic violence cases and all these different things. You know, and the fact of the matter is that a lot of these people get into their family unit, which is a mass movement. Um, maybe not mass, but it is a movement. And a lot of them, you know get divorced or uh, get into these different situations because they're trying to raise that mass movement through the negativity that they didn't purge out of their system yet. You know, so they're raising this mass movement and it's cannibalizing itself because of the negativity that they feel. You know, how can you be, or how could you ever accept, you know, the, you know, the mantle of your family, being at the helm of your family as a mother or as a father, if you haven't refined yourself enough to present perfect and, and, and ideals from well-being to the children, the followers of your movement that you raise. And so the, one of the problems with society at large, in my personal opinion, is that a lot of people get into these positions without ever going on the journey that refines them to be the person that, you know, is the best version of themselves. And so they raise people who aren't the best version of themselves. They raise people through negativity. They raise people through partial, incomplete, unrefined ideals, doing the best they can, trying to love as best they can. But, you know, a lot of us, uh, not a lot of us, I don't have any children, but a lot of people in society uh, fail on their mission. And uh, it results in a cycle, you know, a cycle that perpetuates themselves, you know, itself. Um, that's really all I have to say. I appreciate you for listening. I, I do. Um, and I forgot to say this last time, but please, 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 if you're listening to this podcast, if, you, if you're OG, you listen to this podcast, I need you to subscribe and keep along with me, you know, so you can hear these uh, 
ideas. And so the more you subscribe, the more these ideas are able to get out to other people like you and I and help them out with some of their goals, ideas, businesses, purposes, motivations, whatever else it might be. And so subscribe, rate the podcast, leave me a little comment. Uh, I would like to talk to you. I'd like to maybe have you on the podcast and the whole nine yards. Um, and last, last but not least, you know, um, if you have these ideas that I'm talking about, you have a central idea and you want a profitable way to get it out to the world, man, www.memoirlaunch.com slash launch list. And uh, there'll be a quiz before you get to the actual page where you can join the launch list. But, um, you know, that quiz is just, you know, a compatibility check. You know, I can't help everybody. We can't help everybody. And sometimes it's just not a good fit, you know. So that's pretty much that. I appreciate you listening to this podcast. I'm glad this podcast actually got over an hour long. And uh hope you're doing well, man. I'll see you. I'll see you uh, soon. I don't know when, but soon. And I hope all is well until then. Thank you.